0: Happy Wednesday and welcome to the 135th episode of the Filmgasm podcast. I'm Connor Izagari.
1: Oh, I'm Josh Allred.
0: And this is a very special episode. Today we're going to be reviewing a comic book series in place of a movie. Thanks to the awesome folks at Ibon Press, particularly executive publisher Sean Lewis, who enjoyed our episode on Lucio Fulci's The Beyond so much that he sent Josh and I the complete run of his company's adaptation of The Beyond. So we thought it'd be fun to go back to Fulci and compare the 1981 Italian horror film with Ivan's comic adaptation. Uh, this is so cool that we get to do this. This is a really neat honor and I'm, I'm so excited.
1: Man, look, you're just as surprised as anybody else. I mean, I was shocked when we put the episode out and then like I got a message on Twitter through our Filmgasm page there. You know, at Filmgasm on Twitter, at Filmgasm on Instagram. You can email us, filmgasmgmail.com. Hit us up. Yes, we do. Well, Connor reads them. I don't have access to the email account. But Connor will read your emails, and he might even actually read them on the air.
0: Yes. I have taken requests in the past. So if there's a movie you guys want us to talk about, just let us know.
1: Yeah, so somebody reached out from Ibon. Don't know who it was. It might have been Sean directly, but I, I don't know. Um, and they said, yeah, like, we really liked what you did. Um, Sean wants to uh, send you guys some comics. I, I creamed my pants. I'm just going to say it. Like, it was it was mind-blowing. Um, I, I never thought, you know, because I wasn't, I wasn't putting any of that out, shouting them out in the, um, in the episode or anything in the hopes of getting anything yeah. at all. It was just to acknowledge that somebody else loved Lugio Fulci's movies, um, not just Sean um, Stephen Romano, who uh, wrote the story um, f- for this, and uh, a-, a lot of the other Ivon comics. Stephen Romano is a writer of them. Uh, the amazing art by Pat Carbajal and uh, Bruna Costa. Like this whole series of books, it's amazing. Yeah. And yes, thank you very much, Sean Ivon. We love you guys.
0: Yeah, this is and I, I you know I'm I'm a horror movie fan, but outside of films and like books, I haven't really looked into horror comics that much. So I didn't re- I didn't know of Ivan Press till you told like you told me about him on air and then we had this whole thing happen and just looking at what they've got. It's incredible, a- amazing artwork, amazing storytelling. And I, I really want to press just check these guys out. I mean, if you don't like if you're looking for really badass horror comic books like this is the place to go i mean these guys fucking rock
1: (laughs) yeah and it's one of those things like i've i told a friend of mine about it and he was like oh i was just at the comic shop the other day i was like no you're not gonna find them at comic shops like when you buy these comics you're buying them straight from the people who make them which is pretty damn awesome um sean packs these things up himself um when i got some comics from him It had taken a while. Um, I think it was the Gates of Hell. When I bought the Gates of Hell book from him, it took a while to get there because he just had a bunch of other issues with the printing of the books and all this other stuff. So it took a little bit longer. And Sean is very very conscientious and he takes care of the people that take the time out to order books from him. And so he gave me a free comic and on there was this post-it note that said, thanks for being patient. I was like, like, I don't... Like, thank you. Hell yeah, I'll take all the free comics you want to give me. But I also love putting money in your pocket. Um, so, yes. Go straight to them. iBondPress.com They have the sickest horror comics I've ever seen. I mean, I know you mentioned that your like horror comics really wasn't something you were that into. Me, however, obviously, I, I was all about it. I'm not as... I'm not as well versed in horror comics. Um, a lot of the recommendations I would get or, and I, you know, any, any knowledge I get from my friend Ty who I've mentioned quite a few times. He works at orbit DVD in Asheville, North Carolina. Um, he tells me a lot, a lot of stuff. Um, and I mean, comics and horror have gone together for the longest time. Um, you know, EC Comics was the inspiration for uh, what Creepshow looked like, because they wanted to recreate what those comics looked like. And I mean, George Romero, Stephen King, like those comics um, were very influential to them. So, as long as you've had comic books, you've always had horror. Just like as long as we've had movies, we've had horror. It's it's a genre that is never going to go away because of how malleable it is and and what you can do within it.
0: Yeah. Exactly. I mean, what these guys have done with Fulci's work, like, in my opinion, have, you know, really stretched the story into something I think a lot more coherent and enjoyable, uh, personally, like, I, you know, I thought, when we did the beyond, I had said that one of my biggest issues with it was that I found it kind of hard to follow and a little confusing. But the way that um, Ibon fixed that has really like made me think like i gotta read the rest of their adaptations just so i can appreciate the rest of fulci's movies (laughs) i mean that's that's just you know a personal goal now fantastic
1: oh yeah yeah. like i i had to stop um looking through the gates of hell because i wanted to get this done which anybody else want to send us comic books for research and for future shows go for it um but yeah, I I stopped reading that, but like I have the maniac graphic novel and I haven't gotten a chance to pick that back up because a lot of my, a lot of my nighttime routine with my kids, I'm reading books to them. Uh, So, which tickles me to no end to get and sit and read to them. Um, I've read a couple of goosebumps books to them. I just finished the second uh, killer pizza book with them. (laughs) So they, they love it. And, you know, I don't, uh, I don't get the chance as often to read myself. So the fact that I was given an excuse to read comics, I, I will take that all day.
0: Yeah, me too, man. I've, I have a huge comic book collection and I haven't really read a lot of them. I don't know why, I just haven't gotten to it. I've got so much on my plate constantly that I really have to manage my time in an appropriate way. And I'm glad I got to read these. And now I'm I'm really into Ibon stuff. I've I've ordered a lot of stuff. I ordered the Gates of Hell uh, paperback collection. Um, waiting on that. I've really I'm look- I'm excited for that. I know Caleb ordered a bunch of stuff, and yeah, I'm I'm happy to support a, a small business because you know we we're a small business, and it, you know it feels good to to give a little back.
1: Oh, totally, totally. And if you know if we are contributing in any way to them getting mm-hmm. some more books sold then we've accomplished our mission.
0: Hell yeah, absolutely. And I hope you guys listening, like, you know, want to help out too. Like, they really, they deserve it. They're, they're fantastic work. I mean, yeah, we'll get into that for sure. Um, so if you're fuzzy on the Beyond and Lucio Fulci, we recommend going back and listening to episode 131, where Josh and I dig into that film particularly. Uh, today is going to be largely improvisational and more focused on the four-part comic series. But first I do want to touch again on Fulci because I did an insane amount of prep for this episode. I watched the entire Gates of hell trilogy as well as the New York Ripper and maniac, which I know isn't Fulci, but it's similar in tone. And I wanted to watch it. <laughs> so, so let's go through the Gates of hell trilogy proper. Now that I've actually seen them. Uh, City of the living dead is where the Gates of hell trilogy starts. 1980. And uh, it's interesting. Uh, it's probably – I think it, it's my favorite of, of the Gates of Hell trilogy. I think City of the Living Dead was really cool. I think it had its issues, but I enjoyed it.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's um, – I think it might be – like, like The Beyond is definitely my favorite Fulci movie. Um, like you said, it, City of the Living Dead is fun. It is something that really – I think it really um, – it really exemplifies Fulci's um, approach to making movies, in how a lot of it is just like scenes and imagery that he has that he loosely ties together with what you know what most um, American audiences would would want is narrative. Narrative holds them together there's this there's a story. but much in the way. And this theory is really kind of I'm I'm taking from my friend Ty because we were talking about this. We have conversations about Fulci and a bunch of other movies like all the time. And he was like, look, the moment that Father Thomas hangs himself, the gates are open. So anything and everything is possible. All bets are off. Um, Not to mention the fact that the town that is the – one of the gates of hell is also a town that is referenced in Lovecraft. So this movie is like Lucio Fulci channeling HP Lovecraft. So it's like weird on top of weird. And then they smush and out barfs out the city of the living dead, which has two of my favorite deaths you know, in horror movies, like two of my favorites. And I'm sure you know exactly which ones I'm talking about.
0: I'm assuming one of them is the one woman literally puking her guts out. And the other yeah. one is Bob. And the other thrilled. one Bob.
1: Yeah, it's still one of the best effects. Um, and I don't know if you've watched them yet. There's this some um, right now it's two parts. Uh, it's, uh, it's a documentary called In Search of Darkness. They're both on, they're both part one and part two are on Shutter right now. I just finished watching part two. They're about four hours a piece, so you got to take them in chunks. Um, totally worth it, though. Totally worth it. Um, but in part two, they touch on a lot of Italian horror movies, which was like my favorite part of the entire documentary. Was them t- talking about Italian horror, and they showed that shot overhead of the drill going through Bob's head, and it's turning. So like you're just you're trying to figure out how the fuck they pulled something like that off. But then you realize when you when you understand how Falci approaches things, like he wanted that. He was like, I want to see this dude get a fucking drill through his head and I want to see the drill move. Make it happen. And Tom Savini even made a comment about stuff like that. Like they were literally given problems. And he he was like, Look, here's what we're gonna do. And they're like, Well, how are you gonna do it? He's like, I don't know, we'll figure it out. And like that right there is like that kind of spirit. You're like, I don't know how the fuck we're gonna do it, but we're gonna make it happen. And it's so memorable. But yeah, that woman puking her guts out. The first time I saw it, I was like, Oh, like you you want it to end. You want it to end so many times. And like when I told you about zombie, I was like, Fulci likes to torture his audience. He he wants you to look away first because he's not going to, he's not gonna flinch. And that and that death is is that whole uh, philosophy? I mean, he is not going to stop. He's going to make her puke her guts and five other people's guts worth out of her mouth, and you're going to have to stop watching it because he's not done yet.
0: Yeah, that was. Uh, I was not prepared for that. Uh, that. That was just. I was in awe. I was like, "How long is this?" Like, I was looking at my watch. Like, it was like a you know like a sketch comedy. Like, is she still going? Like, holy shit! Like, wow that that's commitment. Um, What I really liked in that movie was uh, Mary getting buried alive I thought that was done really well I kept thinking like don't walk away dude Just don't walk away Like he kept almost leaving and then he kept like was that what? And I love that his solution is Take a pickaxe right to where her face would be
1: (laughs) Why not Why not I mean you hear a woman screaming in the ground And you figure oh my god She's been buried alive and you're like Fuck of course just you gotta grab what's handy, and why wouldn't there be a pickaxe just right there? Just freshly dug <laughs> grave. Of course, there's a pickaxe.
0: All of the grave diggers are like, "Well, I guess that's lunch or whatever." They were like half done. They're just like, "I guess we're done for the day. <laughs> Fucking oh, but yeah, that was great. Um, again, you know, my only real issues are narrative, but honestly, the comics are clearing that up for me, so that's not really becoming a problem anymore. Uh, i loved bob getting drilled it was so unnecessarily over the top and it was an incredible effect i was trying to figure out like i can see his face moving and i can see the drill through his head how the is he dead is it, like, did Fulci really kill this guy <laughs> like, i wouldn't put it past him
1: <laughs> no he was in a couple of other italian movies he was one of those guys that like he has that face you can't you can't like you can't pin where exactly you saw. I think he was in uh, *Cannibal Holocaust*. He was one of the he was one of the film crew in *Cannibal Holocaust*, which was I think like just before this, um, if I'm not mistaken. So yeah, he was in uh, he was in quite a few uh, Italian movies, and his name escapes me right now. So I'm a terrible horror fan, and I don't remember his name. And I'm sure my friend Ty is probably screaming as when he listens to this, he's gonna be like, "Yeah, it's his name." And you're, yeah, Giovanni Lombardo Radici. There you go giovanni radic yeah it it
0: was weird in the movie that like nobody ever brought him up again like everyone was hunting him down some guy finds him drills his fucking head in his garage and then nobody ever talks about bob again but that's hell
1: (laughs) yeah exactly that's again all bets are off nothing makes any kind of sense like and these aren't even like these aren't even zombies. You know, it's, it's this weird thing. Cause like how they function and how they move, like they're totally counterintuitive to what it's, it's like it, they operate on nightmare logic. It's just like, they're here one minute and then they're over there. The next, you know, father Thomas, anytime he appears to somebody, he like makes their eyeballs bleed and then they're barfing their guts out. Like none of this has any kind of like, cause if you try to look at this logically, you're going to hurt yourself.
0: I know.
1: Yeah. Well, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not saying that to wag my finger at you. Um, just more so that anybody who, you know, I do think unless you're a, a real like gung-ho, like let's just watch a movie and have fun with it, kind of uh, have that kind of attitude, you need a little context for, for Italian movies because they do operate in, in, in a different way. And it's, it's not a bad thing because once you get it, then you have this, this perspective when you watch them and then they become like, they're some of my favorite movies. And I mean, you've, you've heard me gush a lot about them. So, and I think, and I think from what you've seen, you can appreciate them.
0: I can, I understand, you know, the love, I get the, the reverence and the, like the gore effects are beautiful. It's, it's really fantastic. And really, the narrative thing is just something I'm gonna to have to get over myself. I get it. I totally get it. Uh, it's a me problem, straight up. I've I've had this issue <laughs> with a lot of filmmakers. <laughs> um, the Beyond obviously was the was the middle part, and we've talked extensively about the Beyond. The finale of the Gates of Hell trilogy is the House by the Cemetery. Um, this was the one I liked the least. Uh, this was. I didn't really see how this connected to the whole gates of hell concept.
1: That's why I told you the first time when I, when I brought it up, the whole gates of hell trilogy, I was like, and you asked me like, do I need to watch these in order? I'm like, no, 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 you don't. Yeah. You really don't. Um, Cause it's more kind of like, it's more kind of something that was attributed kind of like after the fact, like none of these movies to my understanding were made to like have this huge connecting thread because you don't really like the books, the books have kind of done their, done their part in trying to connect them in a way, which i which I appreciate. And it, it kind of, so sort of echoes um, Argento's three sisters in like how they're using certain characters to tie them to the events of each story. Okay. So, having a little more background and i am i'm only assuming because i haven't finished reading it um the gates of hell graphic novel is going to uh explain some of that stuff so like i said i can't wait to dig into that
0: cool cool yeah uh this was just an oddball i found this one kind of like dull more than anything else um a whole scientist keeping himself alive thing seemed kind of like an afterthought at the end of the movie like oh we got to we got to come up with a bad guy. Let's let's fill this in. And the kid was so annoying and that's not the kid's fault. It's the overdub. I've talked to Caleb about this. It's just so terrible. Like that is clearly not a child voicing that overdub.
1: Oh no, it's a woman. Um, But ironically enough, everybody hates Bob. (laughs) And clearly, and clearly Fulci has a problem with people named Bob.
0: Yes. Yes, he does.
1: You know, fuck that guy. Um, did you happen to watch um, Joe Bob, the the Joe Bob episode with um, Eli Roth talking about House by the Cemetery? I
0: did not. I haven't gotten so, into Joe Bob yet.
1: You're missing out. But what I will say about this is that Eli Roth is a huge fan of Fulci and Italian horror. And he he gives you a lot of reverence, but even he found it hard to really like nail down what's happening in this movie um but i kind of feel like house by the cemetery is kind of like this haunted house kind of movie like there's something there's something in the house that is you know that's that's there that's this presence and all of that where like the beyond isn't really a haunted house movie it's more like there's yeah again there's something ethereal that is that is controlling what's going on and somebody is inexplicably connected to this but they don't know how um i did like there were there were certain things that i really did like about house by the cemetery um again it's fulci being very striking with his visuals that chick that gets that knife right through her right through the back of her head and it pops out her mouth like Yeah, That is, is, again, that is Fulci saying, this is what I want, make it happen. (laughs) Let's figure this out. And he's, you know, that's why so many horror fans hold him in such regard for being the quote unquote godfather of gore. It's like he just goes for it every time. He does not hold back. And I can't wait for you to tell me how you felt about New York Ripper because that movie is just mean as fuck too.
0: Yeah, and that's actually a really good segue. Uh, the New York Ripper is one of the weirdest pornographic films I've ever seen. It's it's basically it's just it feels like a snuff film. It's so uncomfortably grisly, and I don't know why the killer quacks like a duck, but okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was just it was a very angry film. Uh yeah uh yeah what, what did you what did you think you i, I assume you you really like this one
1: yeah well it's it's just so outrageous like you're you're totally off put by all of the violence because it is an extremely violent movie but then you can't help but like kind of laugh when like you hear the killer on the phone and you're just like come on dude like how am i supposed to take you because i told you that yes I was like how can how can you even though i prepped you and you know, gave it away, like you're still just like totally caught off guard. And I think that was intentional on Fulge's part. I don't, I don't know. That's one of his that I don't have on, um, I don't own right now. And I really kind of want, I really want to know, cause I want to know a little bit more about the movie, obviously. Um, but yeah, it's just one of those, it's so nasty and it's so mean. And it's just one of those movies that like, it sticks with you. Once you've seen it, like it, you're, you're never going to forget it. And it, it's, got a, it's got a great piece of cover art by um, Enzo Ciotti, rest in peace. Like that man's cover art was pure art. So wonderful. Um, yeah. And there's actually a connection to the New York Ripper, to Maniac in the Ibon world in that Frank Zito and the New York Ripper go at it. <laughs> so I'm like, come on let's yeah i want to see that fight
0: oh my god i'm on team zito uh that motherfucker can yeah i the new yorker i've never seen a movie where like a dude toe fucks a woman for 20 minutes i've never seen never seen that Uh, the scene where just like i don't remember the name of the woman but it was he had her tied down and he was just carving her the whole time while the cops tried to find her i thought like that was that was a bit much i mean like, that's a level of violence usually reserved for, like, people who, you know, like, bad people in films. Usually they get that kind of treatment. So when somebody who's really, like, doesn't deserve that, I was kind of, like, uncomfortable just at how violent it was to her. Like, that, fuck. Um, yeah, I, this, this movie seemed to be a little, it felt cathartic for Fulci. Like, he was trying to say something. I don't know.
1: I don't know enough yeah. about it to make that claim i i i don't know one hundred percent that's kind of why i want to get my hands on one of the because uh, blue underground they're they're my jam i love bill lustig he um he's put out he put out house by the cemetery he put out zombie he put out new york ripper um and i i really want to get the new york ripper he actually um So he remastered it, put out a three-disc collector's edition on Blu-ray, but then he went back again and did it on 4K. So I'm like, I don't need a 4K player, but I'm going to have to get one because bastards like Bill Lustig are forcing my hand, which is fine because it just means I need to buy a PlayStation 5. So, okay, I get it. I'm, I'm working on it.
0: Yeah, Caleb's doing 4K too, and I just I I'm here with my PS4 and my Blu-rays and buying old DVDs when I find them, so I own the movie because that's really all I care about at this point. I'm an under twenty bucks kind of guy, so I don't I don't
1: I don't blame you. Um, I also I'm also a sucker for you know stuff that I I know you can't really get anywhere else. Um, I I couldn't resist picking up. Hell comes to Frogtown and a couple of other movies from Vinegar Syndrome because you're not going to find those anywhere else. And when you see there's only like a couple hundred copies, you're like, that's not going to last very long. So I got to get it. And I, so I can, I can, I can separate myself from my money when I know the people that I'm giving it to have taken the time to. You know, do a good restoration, pack in some special features, and make it worth my while. Um, one of the, one of the first Vinegar Syndrome, um, Blu-rays that I bought, I bought at Crypticon, uh, 2018, I think, with Caleb. Um, one of the guys there, he was selling a bunch of stuff, and I bought Ice Cream Man. He was the guy, and I was thumbing through him. The guy was like, "Hey, you like Joe Bob?" I'm like, "Yeah, who doesn't?" <laughs> it's like, well, that ice cream man's got a uh, good Joe Bob uh, commentary on this so whole cut of the movie that's straight up intercut with Joe Bob's summer school. I was like, y- you know what? Fuck you, man. He's like, what? It's like, now I have to buy it. So, yeah, I I, I bought it that day and fell in love with Vinegar Syndrome ever since I bought fucking Beastmaster from them when they put a huge special edition together. So, yeah. Like I I said, the last time, one of the last times we talked, that's kind of my jam. I'm resigning myself to, you know, this is where my free money is going to go to.
0: Yeah. And that goes right back to, you know, supporting a small business and, you know, keeping connections alive in this kind of community. And that's great. I love that. If I could afford it, I would too.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You got all that teacher money.
0: Oh, yeah, I got instructional assistant money, and that's... uh, (laughs) Oh, yeah, I'm rolling in it over here.
1: (laughs) I mean, you know, you're buying cats and whatnot. I mean, come on.
0: (laughs) Yeah, my latest splurge was a $40 rescue cat. And uh,
1: for those of you who listened
0: to the sneak preview, you may have heard Seymour just meowing around back there. He's probably... You might hear him in this one. (laughs) Going forward, there's going to be cat Easter eggs all over this fucking show.
1: (laughs) Just trying to break in. Just trying to break in any way you can.
0: And yes, it is Seymour after Seymour Curlborn from Little Shop of Horrors. One of my favorite movies. <laughs> um, Maniac. Uh, I know it's not Fulchy, but it definitely has the same tone as a lot of these films. This kind of late 70s, early 80s just Grit.
1: It's- yeah no it's a dirty new york horror movie yeah. yeah absolutely absolutely back when new york was dangerous and you dare not look somebody in the eye on the street or turn down the wrong alley because you would get bucked up yes that is exactly what i mean the the scenery in that is like it reminds me of like this movie it reminds me of frank handenlotter movies like basket case and brain damage and frankenhooker like all these movies that were made in new york in the late 70s and 80s when new york was like it it had an identity it didn't look like you know the new york that everybody thinks of now that's all pretty and clean on like this new york would eat your ass alive Mm. and leave you in a puddle of shit on the corner like that was the new york that is in those movies absolutely
0: yeah, straight up. I mean, Maniac to me feels like if Taxi Driver was a horror movie, this is what it would look like. And I thought that was really cool. Um, it definitely reminded me of the Son of Sam murders. That was a big influence over a lot of the, like a lot of serial killer movies that took place in New York in the eighties. And there's something about this movie. I don't know what it is. Is Joe Spinell just? He nailed it. He was so good in this movie. And it's it's vicious. It's gritty. It's uncomfortable but I couldn't look away. It's I was, I was very surprised that I enjoyed this one. (laughs) I thought, I thought I was going to hate this.
1: Well, so it is a, it's a slasher from the point of view of the slasher. You know, the audience is not sympathizing with the victims at all. You are meant to sympathize to a certain extent with Frank Zito and you're seeing the world through his eyes. Um, you know, up to and including the point where you're not sure what is real that you're seeing. Like, are you seeing everything in his head, you know, or is is the things that he's doing, is he really doing them? You know, I think, I mean, this is not the episode to break that movie down, but you are you're definitely um, questioning yourself the entire time. And you nailed it. Joe Spinell is... A force of nature in this movie like he just he 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 manages to portray this character in such a in such an endearing way like you really like he is frank zito like he is and then he's also like he he's a chameleon like he takes his strengths as a character actor and like when frank is out on the town and he's like wearing this fucking leisure suit and shit and you're just like this guy is just pretending like he's cool right now. Like, you know, like, like when a character actor is really good, they can layer their own performances, you know? Cause you could yeah. tell that it's like this nervous Frank Zito, who's trying to be a swap motherfucker, but it's like, it, it's so uncomfortable. Like he's like that word uncomfortable is very much how you feel the entire time you're watching that movie.
0: In that same vein, there was a scene towards the beginning when he picks up that hooker and he goes to the motel. And he's like paying the, you know, paying for the room. And the guy goes, like, it's five more bucks if you want a color TV. And you can see in his head, he's like, Yeah, all right. (laughs) he just has this like that's clearly not important to him right now, but he's still like, Do I want a color TV? Like it's all in his head. You can see that inner battle. And I just thought that was really funny. Like he's really thinking he's gonna kill this woman. And he's like, but I could watch color TV afterwards. Like (laughs) just I don't little things like that really made you kind of relate to this dude. And I, I like that
1: yeah um that that was another blue underground that I was really excited about um when bill Lustig you know put that one out. I actually have the soundtrack on vinyl. I bought it many many years ago um and I bought it because one of so I got it from mondo and i um yeah those bastards they're they're like they were doing stuff where like you had to be like right there on the day at the time and then you had to just jump on it oh yeah thankfully i was off work that day and i was sitting there waiting and waiting and waiting waiting and i fucking got one it's still sealed i still have never opened it because i don't know if i got just the regular black one or if i got one of like 300 was like one or 200 uh red vinyls that they pressed for it and I've seen on eBay that same album. I paid like 20, 25 bucks for it going for almost $300 now. <laughs> and I'm just like, oh, I'll think about all the movies I could buy with that. No, 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 don't do it. Because um, that soundtrack is amazing too.
0: Yeah. I like your, you know, Schrödinger's vinyl approach to this. It's good.
1: Yeah. It is simultaneously the shitty regular black vinyl, but it could also be the amazing blood red vinyl. And, I am okay with that at this point in my life. Oh, yeah.
0: God. Mondo is dangerous. They are so cool. I, uh, for a, a long time ago, we got uh, my uncle, who's a big movie fan. We got him a Mondo Pulp Fiction print, and it is gorgeous. And I just, yeah, I, I love their work. Uh, fantastic. Uh, they had a gallery in Austin. I don't know if it's, like, if you can go there now, but there was for the longest time a gallery. I hope it's open again. Oh, so that was fun. Uh, definitely made me feel like that was worthwhile watching all those films one after another. Uh, so, with that, let's dig into I- Ibon's comics and see how they match up with Fulci's The Beyond. Uh, yeah, so we've got the first issue uh, by Stephen Romano, uh, illustrated by Pat Carbajal and Bruna Costa. The artwork already on the cover is, f- is spectacular. I mean, just holy shit, fire and spiders and flesh, and just <laughs> that was exactly what this is going to be.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's going to, it's going to melt your fucking brains, is what this move is what these books are going to do. Straight up. And yeah. I
0: love that this first issue is mostly um, an unex- like a, a prologue to the movie that we never got. And I thought that was brilliant. I was like, okay, some establishment information. I like this chapter one the book of Ibon and it's it's great we get this you know this tale of love that becomes tainted by the book of Ibon and just grisly visuals I love it the um what's his name the the teach John yeah at the beginning just whipping his wife with the belt and just, it's it really establishes a great tone and kind of creates this cyclical, almost prophecy to this, to this story that these people are destined to like relive this horrific situation.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That was, that was something like when I, when I was first reading it, I was really more blown away by the visuals and the artwork. It was just, I was like just soaking it all in. And I was just so overwhelmed and then starting to like go back and actually read and, understand what they were going for it was it was really interesting that they were taking the established mythology like the the words that we had from fulci's movie and then pulling it and then creating something of their own um i don't know if you took the um in the fourth issue in the sweet sweet ibon sleeve um yeah i'm i'm probably gonna try and hawk your stuff for you sean and i'm totally okay with it um if you if you do when or not if when fuckers when you buy comics from ibon go for go for the ibon sleeve go for these things that get numbered and signed because they pack these bitches like i got i have so many books that it's ridiculous and like i'm constantly in this like rotation of reading books and putting them down and like i just I get overwhelmed trying to start a book and I'm like, Oh God, there's 700 pages. How am I ever going to finish this? So I just like go and start reading something else. Bookmarks is where is, is what I'm getting at. Bookmarks are my best friend. And I have so many now got some sweet ones, thanks to uh bond. And so in the sleeve for the fourth one, yes, that shit is great. It's fucking wonderful. So in the sleeve, they have this thing from Steven where he talks about how long, This journey has come from them first doing this over 20 years ago. Yeah, almost 20 years ago. This story has been gestating. So the fact that these guys have kept at it is a testament to knowing you want to create something and never letting that shit go because this was well worth the wait. This shit was amazing. Um, But yeah, so I kind of want to talk about how the book of Ibon is like this this thing, like this esoteric, yep, that's what I'm talking about. This esoteric book that on its own might not be anything special, but like once it's read and once it's consumed by a person, it corrupts them. Except for those who the book is speaking to, i.e. Liza. Somehow she has this connection to it and what it does to John. And I think part of that is like his jealousy of seeing that Liza has this link to it that he, that he can't understand and it totally drives him mad to the point where he's beaten the hell out of her. And then she turns him into the thing on the cover, which I was like fist pumping. I was like, fuck yeah, fuck that guy. And then I'm thinking about it. Oh shit. That's the same dude. That's the same guy from the where like books two through four are like adapting the actual movie. Like it's John and Liza again, and they're doing this again. And it also explains Emily's presence in that Emily was originally around when Schweik, the painter, when he was around, when they, when he and Liza first come together in 1927 which is when this book is taking place book one that is
0: yeah it's brilliant uh i was i i'm not you know you all know me on this show i don't kiss ass i i'm honest here and i i really do think that the comic run of the beyond in my opinion surpasses the film i i like these a lot i like the way it fills in the gaps it gives you a narrative to follow and enhances it enhanced my viewing pleasure of the film I watched the film earlier today after having read the comics and I was I was I was way more into it I, I think that's awesome that they can do that
1: yeah absolutely absolutely I actually um so after I finished the books I finished them on Sunday and then last night I watched the beyond again and I found my because I was like sitting with the books and I was like making little notes as I was was like, Oh, like, yeah. Like I really appreciate Fulci's movie more. And yeah, they definitely, these books, the comics add a lot more. They expand on the story that we already know, especially for someone like me who this is like, well tread territory. And it gives you something. And, and not only that they, they don't, try to over-explain anything. They just give you enough to anchor you, and then you're like, oh, shit, okay. And then when you're watching the movie, you're like, it makes sense. It makes sense that Emily is saying things when she's confronted in the living room by Schweik's zombie and all the other ones. She's like, I don't want to go back. I don't want to go back. And then you realize, because the ending kind of confirms that, it's like Emily was in the beyond. That's where she was and she was back because she's repeating this cycle over and over again. Cause she's stuck in that house and she's tainted by what she knows, which that was also one of my, uh, one of my favorite lines in this uh, in this whole book and the, and out of the movie is they're talking about the beyond and they're like talking about where the truth scorches us blind and it's like oh damn it like it just it it reaffirms the ending when you find out that john and liza have stumbled into the beyond because the gates of hell are opened under the house and now they're they're stuck there they are just as fucked as emily was and the truth of that has fucking robbed them of their sight
0: it's It really makes Fulci's hell so much scarier that, you know, it's so impossible to comprehend that it just blinds you. Like you, you're not able to understand just how horrific this place is mentally or physically, and it just takes away your sight. So you can't like, that's, that's so creepy. I love it.
1: Which is a very Lovecraftian idea. Lovecraft made it a point to not give you much in the way of descriptions of what his characters are going through, even though a lot of it was in first person. He still didn't give you something to tangibly hold on to in the form of like a, of a description. He was forcing you to use your own mind, but also telling you at the same time, this shit drove me nuts. Like I am completely and utterly insane and questioning all reality by what I've just experienced, and I'm telling you now. And oh, by the way, it's you know, you're fucked now for hearing this.
0: Reminds me of Stephen King's 1408, not the movie, but the, the story. And how the like the story is all build-up and then just the aftermath. And I love that the whole build-up is don't go in that room. Just please don't go in there. And he's like, Fuck you, I know what I'm doing. And then it's they found him rambling about like crazy shit he was never the same again and you're just thinking what the hell did he see in there and you know what you don't see is always scarier than what you do see and fulci definitely knew how to capture that
1: oh yeah but i mean even what he shows you like even what he does show you in in the in the in the in the kills and the the zombies or whatever you want to call them in the in the movie um they're they're still so explicit that it it sticks with you and I think, like, I think in going through this, that the thing I've come to understand about the male characters in the comics and in the movie is like their their arrogance is what kills them. Schweik in this thinks he's some kind of savior, and that only he can teach Liza about her birthright, and that he's the one that's going to be able to save humanity and all this stuff but it's his own arrogance that winds up doing him in because he was messing around with Emily, who was the daughter of the guy that leads the mob to kill him. Like it's this whole notion that like men, we know better. We all know that we can handle this ladies. Just, just sit down and just sit down and watch us. Okay. Just watch us get, get shit done, but they can't, they fucking can't. And It's, it's really, it's really sweet because like when I first watched the beyond, you're like, why are they doing this to this guy? Like, clearly they don't know who he is. They're just afraid of him and they're killing. But then when you get into this book and you're like, oh, oh, okay. He fucking thought, but even in his own way, he was tortured by the book. Like he knew something about it and it tortured him so much that like he was seeing things that he had no idea about. He had seen Liza in his dreams and had no idea who she was, but knew that he, in his own arrogant way, knew that he could help her. Only he could help her. Fucking idiot. <laughs> he got what he deserved is where I'm getting at.
0: Yeah, and that's you know kind of reflective of really most of human history is men thinking they know better and always just fucking shit up. And I liked that the film kind of and the book go there. And I liked this little nod to the book of Enoch and how it's far away in the town of Dunwich. I was like, I know what that means now. (laughs) (laughs) That was cool.
1: Yeah, yeah. That was something else I'd made a note of. I was like, okay, so the book of Ibon is here and the book of Enoch is, oh, it's in Dunwich. Okay, okay. I see what you're doing here. Nice. Nice. Oh, clever boys. Clever boys, you. Yeah. And
0: you do, I agree that, you know, giving Schweik a little bit more background and his relationship with Liza and Emily, uh, it does make his death at the hands of the mob a little bit more his fault. And you get it this time. I mean, it still is hardcore, you know, beating him with a chain, crucifying him to the bathroom wall. It's a bit much, you know, boiling him alive. But it's not all, you know. It's not all their fault. <laughs> he, he had it coming. Uh, yeah, this is great. Uh, moving on to the second issue, which really kind of starts the film adaptation here. Uh, we get more background into eighties, or yeah, eighties Liza and her relationship with this house or hotel. And how you know she feels she's been there before. There is this this cyclical vibe to this whole thing that really makes it a lot more uh, of a powerful story. Uh, yeah, <laughs> very cool.
1: By the way, did you catch the Fulci cameo?
0: I did not. Well, where was it?
1: Literally on like the third page where she's talking about her um, her grandfather, I think. Oh yeah. Straight up, the dude in the wheelchair, that's faulty all day long. That's awesome. Not to mention, um, I think it's I think it's at the end of the second one or the first one, where they go and uh you're seeing like the setup for the next uh book. Yeah, so the end of the first one, you're seeing a telegram from uh, Mr. Fuller. Yeah. Who is, as most, you know, true gore hounds will know, Lewis Fuller was Lucio Fulci's Americanized name when they would release some of these in uh, in the States. Um, these Italians being so clever, they thought that they could um, lend more credibility to their movies if they had an American name on there. Um, yeah. Don't ask me why. <laughs> <laughs> italians are all about trying to dress something up and slapping it out there and being like hey look hey, they're not gonna give a shit like come on lucio Folchi, uh lewis fuller yeah let's do that but yeah mr fuller is uh the name on the telegram there
0: i can't believe i didn't i didn't catch that that's that's brilliant lewis fuller i can't believe i didn't pick down pick up on that ha! that's that's fantastic
1: yeah <laughs> Yeah, Fulci, Fulci pops up in like all of their comics that I've seen so far. Uh, I don't know about The House by the Cemetery. I'm assuming he will because if they're adapting it from the movie, he's in the movie. Um, and the best is in the zombie series that they do. Um, I got to get my hands on that. I hope they reprint the graphic novel. Shauna, I'm begging you. Reprint the graphic novel. I will buy it and I will do my best to... Try and convince as many people as I can to buy it. Um, because way back, this is like 2017, 2000, yeah, 2017, somewhere around there, I had entered into this um, caption contest uh, that Ibon held. And I think I was, I don't remember what it was. I think it was for a movie called Rotor, uh, which was an acronym. And they were like, make up your own Rotor acronym. And I can't remember what it was, but it won. Um, And I got two issues of the zombie comic. And it's like, I think the first three are the movie. And then the subsequent ones are just them just going off the rails with it. Um, But Lucio Fulci is in there as this crazy general who winds up becoming a zombie by the end of it. It's it's so fucking awesome. (laughs) But yeah, I got them for free and I was like... So happy about it. I got to read them while I was on deployment and I showed him to Caleb and shit. I was like, don't sleep on these comics. And you know, Caleb, he's like, Oh, yeah, I'll put it on my list of things to do because I have to go things one through fucking ten, blah blah blah. I'm like, God, just just go do something when somebody tells you to do it. I'm making a recommendation. You've trusted my recommendations before. It's like, what is your pro- stop? Just break the cycle. Break the cycle.
0: Ah. This is yeah I love that you have that connection with the zombie comics that's that's really cool uh yeah fantastic these guys just, their work is so good I love I'm I'm looking into you know part 2 with the the gore is amplified because of what you know they can do with the the drawings the guy falling off the the railing and his head kind of just exploding <laughs> I love that uh the like the narration about you know I thought I'd been, I'd done this before. He looked familiar, things like that. It really puts you in a new state of mind.
1: Yes. Yeah. Given the new context that you get from the first book and how, you know, they've done this before, but they don't know. And Liza's connection to the hotel isn't just like a surface connection. You know, from these books, you get a lot more of a deeper appreciation and a deeper understanding that. She might, she might not be exactly who she thinks she is either, because you see what she's capable of in that first book, when she fucking liquefies her abusive ass husband. Like she's got some kind of power that she's not aware of, and yeah, I I I love that because it's like it creates a little bit of tension here. Like, is she gonna figure out? who she is and what she's capable of.
0: And then also we get, you know, some direct parallels from the movie, like Joe, the plumber down the, I'll never get over Joe, the fucking plumber, just uh, (laughs) breaking open the wall in the basement, opening the gate. And it's so much, I think it's creepier in the comic, just like this void and then a face in the void. And then a hand just fucking him up. And we still get that, you know, signature Fulci eyeball squish.
1: Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, you can't not do that. Yeah,
0: But it's even like the fucking eye explodes in the comics. It's so over the top. I love it. It's the eye flies out and then just bursts in midair for some reason. I don't. Yeah, it's great. And then we get, of course, Liza driving right into Emily on the highway.
1: So I don't know if you've ever driven into New Orleans. I have not. I have driven on those very same, like, jetty, like, bridges or whatever you want to, like, it's it's the weirdest shit ever because it looks just like that. Like, they look so, I mean, at the time we were driving on them, it was nighttime, but I got to see them during the day when we were leaving. It is, like, it's just this weird, like, ethereal thing, and you're just, it's so mind-blowing. And I think that's one of, like, my favorite pictures of Lucio Fulci. Um, if you ever Google him, uh, there's literally a picture of him sitting in a director's chair framed up just like that. Like, I want to get that blown up as a poster and I want to put that up on my wall because that is like, it says so much about him and kind of like what he, I, I don't know. He just looks so fucking cool in that picture.
0: <laughs> That's Fint. I think he told me about that when we did the beyond the first time I remember hearing about that, that picture. That's, that's really cool. One of my favorite things this comic does is give you backstory, even a little bit of backstory on Martha, Arthur, and anyone who really comes into contact with this house and how they're connected to all this. And I I like that we get, you know, in the movie, they're kind of just background characters who don't really do much, but in this, they're a significant part of the story of the gates and it makes sense that, you know, Martha would go into the basement, see Joe, the plumber, and just kind of be like, oh, okay. Because in the movie, I was always like, is anybody going to deal with this? But in the book, it's like, yeah, she, she's not scared because this is normal for her.
1: Yeah, it's not the first time she's seen this shit.
0: <laughs> that, makes, that makes sense then, yeah. If I was, you know, well-versed in hell and I saw a dead body, I'd be like, all right, guess it's Tuesday. But... um, <laughs> uh, The little flashback with the kid who gets crucified in the house. Oh,
1: yeah. Like, I I literally just turned to that page. Because I remember that. I was like, oh, fuck. Oh. Yeah, again, it's one of those things that just, it doesn't leave you. And it does kind of go, it also talks about when she got put up in the mental hospital, Mm -hmm. which was just kind of, like, hinted at in the movie. But then you're like, well, what exactly, you know? Like, it kind of, again, It just, for lack of a better word, it fleshes everything out. We're talking about Lucio Pulchi, ha flesh, blah, blah, blah.
0: Yeah, it's perfect. It, we get reasons of why she's so wary about this house, why she has a bad feeling, because of all this dark shit that happened to her when she was a kid. And, yeah, it's weird that the movie would gloss over a you know commitment to a mental hospital. I feel like that's very important character development. And I'm glad that the comic goes there.
1: Well, I think, I think in a lot of these, um, a lot of these Italian movies, um, time, time is money and and you, and you want to keep things moving. And I think, I think that's also something that gets kind of lost in translation when you're writing in a foreign language and then you're trying to present it in a foreign language, you know, like you have your brain wired in a certain way because of where you're from and and your style and how you think about a story. And then you try and put that in another language. Some things are going to get lost in translation. Things are just going to get totally glossed over. Um, And oh, by the way, who really makes movies? Who really calls the shots at the end of the day? It might be the director, but it's probably going to be the producer that, you know, the thing that I will say is a really good thing about Fulci's movies is that he worked with a lot of the same people. And um, De Angelis loved Fulci, loved working with him. So I'm sure he gave Fulci a lot of freedom to do what he wanted to do. And because Fulci makes his movies the way he makes his movies, he might not have even been so focused on that. If for him, he understood what it meant to the character but really i just want to see joe's fucking eyeball pop out of his fucking head or martha's fucking eyeball pop out of her head you know like those are the those are the real things that he's really making this movie for he wants to string together these nightmarish images he has in his head i love <laughs> the
0: idea that like the whole crew is just trying to craft a movie around Fulci's crazy ass like i want to see eyeballs pop just random exploit like <laughs> just
1: I mean (laughs) I mean Dardano Sacchetti said as much. He was like, Fulci would read the script and he's like, This is great. But I want to do this. You know, I want to see a fucking shark fight a fucking zombie. Like, but that's not even in the script. But I want to see it because I really want to shoot this, have this beautiful underwater scene, and oh, by the way, there's gonna be a naked lady in there. You know, like all you know, because he's thinking about it from this purely cinematic standpoint, which if you get the chance to watch zombie like in like a good restoration of it. That underwater scene is like the best, like visually appealing part of that entire movie. Cause everything else is um, it's very rough. And even like the, even the way it's shot, it's still really dirty and grainy. And, but like that underwater cinematography is just like chef's kiss. It's beautiful. And you get to see a zombie fighting a shark. So I mean, come on.
0: I'll never Everybody get over does. the fact that it's a real shark and a real guy in zombie makeup, just kind of dancing out there. Like that's insane. A fucking tiger shark and some dude in zombie makeup just flying around underwater. It's amazing. Nobody got their head bit off.
1: Yeah, exactly. And, and the fact that like that stunt man went so far as to have a fake arm on his arm and then shove it in a shark's mouth. So the shark can rip his arm off. Like, Only Italians would be that ballsy. Only (laughs) Italians would be that ballsy. Oh,
0: my God. I do want to point out the back cover of issue two. That is hot.
1: (laughs) That is... um, I don't know how much you... uh, Well, you have Latin roots. Um, This is, like, straight up. I would airbrush this on the roof of my fucking firebird or on my giant chevy van quality right here and i say that with all the love that i can this is not i am i am not talking shit like this is beautiful fucking artwork right here dare i say i would find a a tattoo artist that would be ballsy enough to take this on i would tattoo this on me
0: that's yeah that's a hell of a that's a hell of a piece it's a it's great art Make a great poster, a great tattoo. Yeah, that's fantastic. Uh, Three. Seven Doors of Death. Uh, Well, you know, going to the hospital. I think, I love that it actually explains a little bit more of this dude's brain machine that now I'm like, all right, yeah. Makes sense that he'd hook that up. In the movie, it's like, I'm gonna hook up this six-year-old corpse to my brainwave machine like what the hell's a brainwave machine what are you talking about but now it's like oh okay i gotcha (laughs) yeah
1: and and seven doors of death was the alternate uh, american title for the beyond when it was released in the states it's called the seven doors of death that's
0: there you go that's fantastic i love that i also love the little brainwave pop in like when they leave the room on the corpse, it's, I think it's a lot more potent in the comic. Uh, yeah. I love the random John's flashbacks of, like, you know, I keep thinking that there was, I did something terrible a long time ago. Like, who can ever really outrun his past? I, it, the character development is so fucking good in this comic, I, especially with the little girl. Um, her name escapes me.
1: Oh, God. Yeah. Jill? No. Is it Jill? No. God damn it! What is her damn name?
0: Do, 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 do. This is. We're gonna find it. <laughs> uh, it is Jill.
1: It is okay.
0: <laughs> I should always I trust my instincts. <laughs> ah, but yeah. We get a little glimpse of her connection to all this. And how she was like, you know, her father thought she was a witch, so he brutally killed her and cursed his family. And that's why shes they're all involved now. That's great, because the, the whole time when I was watching the movie, I'm thinking, like, why is this girl getting so much focus? Is this going somewhere? And it didn't. But now it's like, okay, she's just another intricate part of this ongoing hellscape.
1: Gotcha. And another testament to the cyclical nature of these characters Like, again, you've got a male character who is totally consumed with his own arrogance and his own hate that he would kill his own daughter yeah, because he's afraid of what she is and has no basis for any of it, none whatsoever. And yeah, and and even that poor girl is her fucking, the, the truth has scorched her blind as well.
0: And I got to say, the acid bath in that scene, wow, that is some of the most gorgeous, gory artwork I've ever seen. That is
1: so remarkable. I oh. can't help. And I think this is just because of how, just because of how rockin' the soundtrack is to the beyond. Yeah. That when I, when I watched, when I looked at this scene again in the comic, I could hear that funky, jazzy breakdown. i was like oh my god like it's that that music is forever in my brain and when i looked at this again like it's just it's just replaying in my head it's perfect perfect. shutter calls it spooky music with a beat yeah yeah there you go
0: (laughs) i'm the same way whenever i see emily i think her her theme is my favorite bit of music in the movie and i always hear that when i see her in the comics (laughs)
1: Yeah, is- I don't like it, it. It randomly pops up in my head sometimes. Like, I might just be walking down the stairs or something, and it's dark at night, and I can just hear it in my head. Just hear it. It's like, God, damn, fucking Fulci, Fritzy, you bastards. You're like, you're never going to get out of there, are you? You're just living rent free in my brain, fucking with me. <laughs> and I am okay with that.
0: This just pile. To wander into, your, into a morgue where your dad is on a slab and then just find your mom is a goopy pile of mess on the floor. <laughs> like, this is horrific. And I can't stop. I can't look away. It's gorgeous. This is so creepy. Jill's whole bit in the comics is so, so creepy. And then it goes right into John and Liza getting to know each other and actually, like, having a conversation that makes sense now. Like, they're actually talking about something. It's not just mindless chatter. And then, of course, we get the funeral with the the, the bit on of Jill having freaky eyes. What do you call it? Blinded, but scorched by. I forget the I forget the line.
1: The truth will scorch us blind.
0: Okay, there we go. The yeah. truth will scorch us blind.
1: The uh, so so. I'll give you an, an another little Easter egg in here. The um. The uh, bartender yeah. who calls John over and tells him he's got a phone call. Mm-hmm. And he says, uh, he says, oh, thank you, Antoinella. Yeah. You know whose daughter was named Antoinella?
0: I'm going to go with Fulci. Yes.
1: <laughs> and she is actually the inspiration. And I think I might have told you this on the, on the recording we did for the Beyond. She was actually the inspiration for the symbol for the book of Ivan."
0: You did tell me that. Yeah, the weird tattoo she got.
1: Yeah. Yep. Yep. The shitty tattoo that her dad hated. He was like, Yeah, come in here.
0: Show me this crap. Show him this crap.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah. Oh, God. I love it. <laughs> uh Emily's whole, you know, I told you to leave bit. Again, that makes sense now. Like she's lived through this. You you understand what she's gone through. You know why she wants Liza to get the fuck out of here now. Um perfect
1: uh. so that so that scene where she's running again that's something that plays through my head again as it has it's She used in this weird dream logic where like she's running out but you hear nothing nothing there's no sound whatsoever and at first like i think the first time i watched it i was like is this is this fucking vhs is this shit broken like what the hell just happened but then you find out, like, and especially after looking through the comic, you're like, okay, now it makes a lot more sense. Like, who Emily is and where she's come from. She doesn't operate by the laws of this world because she is not of this world anymore.
0: Nope. And now we understand also the larger strength and capabilities of the Book of Ibon. Now we're a little apprehensive when Liza finds it in room 36. Uh, so good. And I love the little like electricity of uh, Schweik's body in the bathroom. Like it's like, there's a lightning involved. I don't know what that is, but I love it.
1: <laughs> yeah. I, I, I don't know. I, I, but I do like, I do like the imagery. Yeah. I like the way that it like, it's, it's him calling out to her still like he's still even from wherever his body is trapped or whatever like he's still trying to complete his task and his fucking thing still thinks that he can fucking save Liza and she can save everything but really like she's she from how I'm understanding it she is like the harbinger of fucking doom like she's the one that opens the door that just fucks all reality up
0: yeah pretty much. I love that we get these little glimpses of the past. Like when she's talking to John and there's this, that, that little bit, a little panel of the belt that turns into the snake, just reminder of just everything that is kind of on their shoulders that they don't even know about.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and I think like, it's like this weird way of like Liza, like remembering something that she doesn't know like in her in her mind like she doesn't know that she's actually done this already like this is this is something that's happened before and it's going to happen again like it's just it's just gonna because like even even if they didn't if their names were not the same the fact that they're still in the roles that they are it just continues this circle i think i think the fact that you know john mccabe from 1927 is john mccabe in the 80s it's just like you are just doomed to repeat and constantly you know get stuck in this no matter what do you think that
0: 80s john and liza break the cycle or do you think that they're just like because of the way they are kind of embraced by the beyond again at the end do you think that they're just the latest and it's going to happen again
1: I think that in this storyline, they have they've completed what they were supposed to do. Like they were supposed to go there all along, but they were supposed to do it together. Uh, I think when she killed him the first time and Schweik was killed, like that stopped it from happening at that point. Because then Liza is a little girl and it just kind of leads up again to building and building to this point. And I think both of them were supposed to go there. I don't think I don't think and and I think Schweik was kind of like the push. You know, he was he was holding the book and he was the one that was kinda he's kinda like the he's kind of like the match that just lights it all off, I guess is 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 one way to think about it.
0: Okay. Yeah, I buy
1: that. I could be totally wrong and I, I would be I would be happy to get corrected. One way or another.
0: I want to point out the awesome uh, seven panel death of Arthur, which is gorgeous and so fucking freaky. Uh, Yeah, just kind of getting like ripped to shreds and drowned into the, the void. It's so beautiful and so grisly, and I love it.
1: And in true Fulci fashion, there's eyeballs popping out.
0: Of course. Does anybody Naturally. in this die with their eyeballs intact? Or they like-
1: shouldn't. They shouldn't. You know, if you're gonna if you're gonna have a theme or you're gonna have a running gag, you might as well just, just go all out. If you're gonna go for it, just go for it with gusto.
0: Yeah, I agree. The the book the the, the bookstore guy, creepier in the comic or creepier in the movie? What do you think?
1: uh I think he's creepier in the comic um because in the in the movie he's just kind of like again he's kind of just awkward and he he doesn't really have much purpose but like here you're just like I, I think it's I think it's kind of the way like even his dialogue uh bubbles are in a whole other color and they're they're just like weird and creepy looking you're just like you're a f- fucking weird looking dude like you know he's like the crazy Ralph in this (laughs) comic book you're all doomed you know like that's his whole that's his whole bag he's just existing there to fucking mess with Liza and he's the only one laughing because you know he knows what's going on he knows what she's looking for yeah
0: kind of looks like Phil Spector I wonder if that's on purpose
1: (laughs) well there's only there's only a couple people that know that for sure.
0: <laughs> uh, next panel, we get more eye, eye, eye explosions. Like a lot.
1: <laughs> Literally exploding eyes.
0: Yeah. Good God. I love it. Uh, and then we get the um, the bit with the architect at the uh, the city planner's office, where the guy's like, "Hey, Labor Victory, <laughs> early lunch. See ya." I- <laughs> I don't know yeah. why I love that so much.
1: I think I think this also like goes back to one of my other favorite scenes in this movie, which again the guy with the glasses on his head. It's Fulci again.
0: Yep.
1: Sans beard this time. Man is a chameleon. <laughs> um, but the fucking spiders, like that, like okay. So yes, in the movie, you can clearly tell the difference between the fake spiders and the real ones but their ferocity cannot be called into question like they are just going for it in the movie and then obviously as is the case with this book like it's just it's to the excess like i I don't want to speak for a dead man, but I'm pretty sure Fulci would appreciate the artwork in these books.
0: Oh, absolutely. He would, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he would have hired these guys to be fucking art directors on his films. Like this is, yeah, this is gorgeous.
1: Oh I'm yeah. Sure. No, I'm, I'm, I'm sure Pat Carball would have had a great career doing storyboards for Fulci's movies.
0: Yeah. I, you know, I'm not going to fault the, lack of accuracy regarding the spiders in the beyond. I mean, it's the, you know, it's 1981. Fulci did what he could. I think this is a great homage and a great, uh, kind of readaptation of that. And just so much red and more, there's your eyeball. Like it's yeah, it's perfect.
1: So I kind of, okay. So I kind of want to read from the page before where you see, um, the architect, and it's. I'm gonna start like right in the middle. It says, "His eyes, full of fire, blinded, falling down, and down into oblivion, into the writhing, seething unknown, where every hero pays, where every truth is laid bare forever, and then in the black." endeavor like yes like this is so like there's a lot of really great writing like this in the entire book like all of them there's just really great lines like that and again it just adds to the experience of reading these books and watching the movie and you're like I I, I couldn't I could not love a movie more having these comics to accompany them yeah. and this is okay so this is something else anybody that gets into IBON I- and um, you know might miss on these things like this is why they do what they do and this is why their artwork is so special like they make this to be fully appreciated and to um, have like collectors items They do limited runs. They have different packages for their stuff. Um, They also have some of their other, um, some of their other books like wasteland. Um, That's like this weird, like post-apocalyptic sci-fi horror comic that they've got. I haven't read it. Um, Obviously the artwork is outstanding, but they do. They put a lot of love into these books and our words can only do so much. Um, I mean, just follow them on Instagram and Twitter and like, and look at what they have to offer. Um, I mean, I bought fucking fridge magnets. One of them is the cover to the gates of hell. The other one is to zombie. Um, I've got this weird thing about collecting uh, movie poster, fridge magnets for horror movies.
0: Oh, that's cool.
1: Yeah. I've got a shitload of them. Um, and I saw those on the Ibon shop and I was like, well, yeah, I have to fucking get those. Um, so, yeah, I mean, everything they do is done with all the love that, you know, folks like us, who appreciate horror movies and comics and all of that stuff. Like you, you feel it in all of this and all this gut churning glory that these comic books are filled with. Like you can't not feel that love in there. So up. check them out. I'm going to keep saying it. Connor will keep saying it. Check them out they're worth it
0: absolutely absolutely check them out chapter four face the sea of darkness and uh this yeah this is a great way to cap this off um we get a great you know martha getting impaled through the back of the head eyeball straight out as you know it's the rule then just covered in snakes and gore it's fucking great (laughs) Um, yeah, I think Emily's death is a lot more potent and freaky in the comics, because now you kind of understand what she was trying to do and what she wanted and what she didn't want, and Schweik coming back just seems a lot more ominous, and I really appreciated that. Uh, Dickie just going at going to town on her. It's There's something a lot more um, kind of Sad about it in the comics, like you feel. I feel I felt it more in the comics than I did in the movie.
1: Yeah, yeah. It it seems well because you're not really sure like what their real connection is, and the comics do a really good job of explaining that and showing that there is a, a relationship, probably a one sided one, in like that Emily is probably the one that's more devoted. Out of the two of them, Schweik kind of with his arrogance and feeling like this tortured soul who's painting these things that I've only seen in my mind, and oh, you know, and, and Emily is clearly jealous of Schweik's fixation on Liza. Um, I mean, she, you know, she tries to get Liza killed a couple of times. So, like, yeah, like she's definitely, uh, she's definitely the jealous lady. And she feels like she's, she's done what she was asked and it wasn't good enough. And so now she's, she's going to have to pay.
0: Oh, boy, does she. See no evil, hear no evil, speak no evil. Uh, I love Liza's kind of when all well, all hell breaks loose, for lack of a better term. Um, you're kind of not sure if, she's, if this is really happening or if she's losing her mind especially now that you've seen her, you know, you know a bit about her her past. And I love the bit where she's being chased through the house by her own name. Just Liza, 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 Liza. Like, that's that's so creepy. I love that.
1: Well, I think it's like, um, I think it's a really good way, because even in the movie, like, you you have those moments where, like, you're not really sure what is really happening. I mean, you know, I I, I made the case for it when we first talked about the the movie, the beyond that, like once good old Joe, just trying to find the source of a leak breaks open that wall and he releases the door. Like, you know, all bets are off and anything and everything is going to happen. Um, but I like how they handle it in the comic where like they, they start to like blur what Liza's is seeing. And she's starting to have these crisscrossing images of John, but he's John from like, 55 years ago or whatever it is like and she's just not sure what's really happening which ties back into the fact that she was put in a fucking loony bin so clearly they're clearly they're leaning into it and it's and it's really great that much like people have problems with the narrative thread of italian horror movies like this is pretty solid and they're not they're, they're I don't feel like there's anything that's just disposable in these books like anything they mention like it it carries over and they've been they've been able to tie these together really well so that's all credit to steven romano and his writing and like how he's been able to really like take something that was as far as a narrative is held together like it's held together with fucking duct tape and you know good intentions but the the way he writes it and the way he puts it together, it's handled really well. And I'm, I've got nothing, but I've got nothing, but respect for him for that.
0: Yeah. I second that. One of my favorite lines that he wrote is I never asked him why a doctor would carry a gun, but it didn't matter. Like at that point, she's just like, "This, this, this is clearly not a priority. Like we need to kill these monsters or whatever the hell's going on. And then of course I love the next panel. It just feels, you know, straight out of Dawn of the Dead. Woe be unto man at the opening of the gates of hell, for through that gateway the dead shall walk the earth. Like, that that imagery of just, you know, a bullet going through a zombie's head, it just feels so Romero to me, and I, I love it.
1: Very much so. Um, so, like, those zombies were, that whole scene in the hospital, like, those were tacked on, for I guess like a German release of the movie, like those zombies were because, yeah, like the Germans love zombies, apparently, who knew? um so they're just lumped in, but then they're treated here, like it's something that people remember from the movie, but they're handled in such a way. And even though this movie doesn't make fucking a lick of sense, but it makes sense when you when you you know approach it from an illogical standpoint, everything that they're doing, like once they like, once they leave and get to the hospital and then they'll like start weaving their way through it. And next thing you know, like they're back in the fucking house again. It was like, how the fuck did this happen? You know, you're like, guess what bitches? Like you're fucked now. Like you are, you're in you, the, the lines of reality and hell have been totally blurred and it's only leading you in one direction, which is farther and farther down.
0: Yeah. That's, yeah, I love, yeah, straight up. I love the uh, Harris, the like doctor who gets killed by the broken glass right in the fucking eye as as, as usual. Uh, and then Jill's whole bit, just the image of her head getting completely blasted open it was great in the movie and just, oh man. <laughs> That's, if it wouldn't make guests think I'm deranged, I would love that as a poster.
1: Look, you love what you love, Connor. Don't, I, okay. So I would probably say like, don't keep it in your bedroom above your above your bed because you're probably not going to get laid. But, you know, you like what you like, man. It's okay. And if they hate on you for it, they're probably not worth keeping around. Just saying.
0: I don't know. I mean, I feel like I'd have to explain why I have a poster of a, child getting their head blown off over my bed i feel like that's worth an explanation just like have you ever seen the beyond no you got an hour and a half
1: <laughs> well clearly clearly we're not having fun in here so let's go to the living room and i'll show you what i'm talking about
0: i got a tv in my bedroom i can multitask
1: hey man you're bringing home that kind of girl she's not she, she's probably gonna be excited you have that over your bed so you don't need any explaining
0: that's true that's very true it is gorgeous though, like just the brain matter flying off the fuck. This oh, I'd be if I could draw like that, I would be so proud. Yeah, right. <laughs> I can't draw for shit, so I'm always very impressed.
1: I mean, I can't. I I could never draw this well. Not not one damn bit. Not at all. Which is why I'm such in awe of what they we're able to pull off like Pat Carvajal and Bruna Costa with all of this stuff. Like it's, it's amazing. It's amazing.
0: Yeah. And of course it makes sense that, you know, they're in hell. So you go farther down the hospital and you're in the house and the basement. And I love that they keep seeing imagery, like images of, you know, dead souls and of their past that, like what is it? Those creatures who mock us and fade away to nothing, hidden in places of guilt and regret we cannot heal. That's Jesus. So poetic. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. And oh, just that image of them like running into the void together. They're hand holding hands, like they're gonna face this together, no matter what it is. And they end up in. That, you know, that soundstage that you told me about
1: <laughs> still to this day. Like, like when I watched it yesterday, I was looking at it and I was just like, huh, it, the fact that that exists in a movie and it was done the way it was done is amazing to me. Like that is, that is the definition of working with what you've got available to you and making it like just making it work. And not only that, it became like one of the most memorable landscapes in a horror movie. And it like, I mean, the fact that it was like used again late, you know, to like create a painting of you know, that, that this guy was seeing in his head and he's like seeing this place that he can't explain. And she's like, well, there it is. Like, there it is. And I like, I really love how like they're, they're going in there, but like, it's almost like Liza knows that she has to take John with her. Like she can't, she can't let him go this time. He can't not be here when she crosses over. He has to come with her because it's kind of like closing this circle that has been opened for a long time. And now they can finally like go here and perhaps fulfill whatever, you know, destiny they had laid out before them. Um, Yeah.
0: (laughs) See, there's so much,
1: I feel like there's so much more at
0: stake in these comics. Like there's, you feel like this is a bigger, like this is part of something that's been happening, like that's been going on for thousands of years. And they're just a small piece of it. It, There's a wider game at play here. And I love that. And then of course, at the end of the comic, we get this epic sequel tease. I was not expecting. Uh, Escape from the Beyond. Final three issue series coming Halloween 2021. So excited.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. Like... I, so, um, if you don't already, you can, um, subscribe to their newsletter and like Sean will put out updates and stuff. And I'm, I'm all up in it. I've been up in it for a while. Um, and he teased that out and I was like, shut the fuck up. Like this is, this is fully going to be like their own story and their own thing. Yeah. And I mean, the fact that they've still been referencing the seven sisters, like I'm, I'm really hoping that something comes out of that. Um, I'm I'm also very curious to see what they did with the house by the cemetery because Sean was teasing that when we were talking to him. Um, Because we asked, I think I asked him about kind of like, you know, reading the zombie comics that I did read. You know, I was really like, actually, like he prefers the house by the cemetery comics because of what they did with the origin of uh, Dr. Freudstein. And kind of like what he did. Um, oh, that was something else. I don't think I told you. the um, One of the other comics I won from that contest was a mini black and white first issue of House by the Cemetery. And you would think, well, it's black and white. Like, it's fucking amazing. Um, and they did... Uh, so there's another comic that I am going to see if they still have some issues so i can try and cobble it together um it's called bottom feeder and it's kind of and it's like so they used uh joe palato as the uh inspiration for their uh for their hard-boiled detective guy and anytime i see him like i always fucking picture him in day of the dead where he's fucking choke on him him!" it's like one of my favorite cinematic assholes and i love that they used him in this, but they put out as Ibon does. They put out these insane um, packages for their comics and they did one. They called it the full black, So the entire bottom feeder graphic novel in black and white. Yeah. And I think they sold out by now they should have, because from what I saw, it was fucking insane what they put together. Um, but yeah, I definitely want to try and find out how I can get my hands on some of those. I might, See if I can afford to get like some single issues or something. But yeah, the fact that they were using like people that we know from like all the horror movies and stuff that we watch are just like, oh, that's so cool. Like you kind of pay tribute to these great actors.
0: I did that myself in, in my third book. Uh, I have a direct reference to Joe Pilato and Day of the Dead. I have one of my characters gets one of my characters gets swarmed by vampires and they start ripping him apart and he's screaming choke on it. And it's direct reference to yeah that was me kind of throwing my nod towards Romero. And yeah, it's fun to do that. It's fun to include, you know, your favorite little nods to your favorite stuff in your own work. It's really nice.
1: Absolutely cuz you know like you're you're acknowledging your influences. And I think the fact, you know, the fact that anybody made comics out of Lucio Fulci stuff. I I said it when we were doing the beyond, like that's a testament to the impact his films had on people and how it manifested in, in some, I mean, they've, they've managed to create some of the most memorable horror comics that I've ever seen in my life. Like there are still some I would love to, um, to have, I don't know, how you are like with your knowledge of certain horror comics but there was literally a 3 issue run that tops did back in the day of um Jason versus Leatherface
0: oh shit
1: yeah um <laughs> it's like it pops up on eBay from time to time and i i could never find myself to like part with 150 bucks to get those comics but it I, I, I will own them one day and damn it it's 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 gonna happen
0: in the late 80s they did a two-part Fright Night comic book and I want that very much I've been I've been trying to find that and then of course I'm also I also would love to get my hands on Freddy vs. Jason vs. Ash the graphic yep. novel that is notoriously difficult to get a hold of oh yeah yeah, of course, the stuff I want is like the stuff that doesn't exist anymore.
1: <laughs> and and that just that just shows you like as much as you might not think about it at the time. It's just like you kind of got to grab these things when they're there, which is why here comes another shameless plug, which is why you should grab the comics from Ibon Press when they're out there. Like because those motherfuckers do go sell out and then you can just stare and look at them like I have before and just go like, oh, I should have done that. <laughs> you can sacrifice some coffees for a week or, you know, your favorite fucking burrito, damn it, for a comic book that'll always be there and keep you comforted and give you nightmares because of the fucking beautiful, the, what'd you, how'd you, how'd you, how did you phrase it? Because I think I used your words, the, what was it, the gorgeous and the grotesque or something like that?
0: Yeah, I, yeah, I texted you that. I remember that.
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sean, if you want to use that as like your tagline for your comics, go for it, you know, or have like a little tagline, you know, gorgeous and grotesque. Connor is a filmgasm like go for it. Um,
0: Fuck yeah. <laughs> oh, this was a blast. Um, special shout out to Sean Lewis for help making this possible. You guys are doing awesome work and we urge all of our followers to check out and purchase their awesome work at ibonpress.com. In addition to the Beyond, they've also done adaptations of City of the Living Dead, which they call Gates of Hell, The House by the Cemetery, Maniac, Zombie, and a lot of badass original graphic novels as well. Again, that's IbonPress, E-I-B-O-N-P-R-E-S-S.com. So go there.
1: Yeah, they're, they're amazing. Um, also, I know everybody knows about like Cavity Colors and Fright Rags and all these other great Rotten Cotton. It was like one of the original horror t-shirt websites and Sean still has got it pumping out. He's still got really good shit. Um, he also branched out into the world of um, pins. So he makes like enamel animal pins and stuff like that. Um, I got one that is the uh, logo for Canon films. So always loving some, Cheap schlocky movie companies. Um, Canon obviously made one of your favorite movies of all time, Connor. Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. So, um, <laughs> so up. yeah. No, um, Sean had that advertised one day, and I was like, "Yeah, fuck it. I'll buy that pin. Why not?" Yeah. <laughs> not
0: the time. Not the time. I. <laughs> God damn it. Ah, oh, uh, this was great. Next week, in honor of the release of Spiral. Caleb and I are continuing Filmgasm's journey into the Saw franchise with 2005's Saw 2, which sees Detective Donnie Wahlberg trying to solve Jigsaw's intricate game while his son is trapped in a rundown house as part of Jigsaw's latest group of players. There will certainly be blood next week on the Filmgasm podcast. Uh, Don't miss John Singleton's Boys in the Hood on Oscar Sunday, Guy Ritchie's Wrath of Man on Monday's sneak preview, and whatever the Giggle Guys got for us on Friday. In the meantime, check out Ibon Press, check out Lucio Fulci's films on Shudder, and keep watching movies.